0: growing up your mom taught you probably a couple lessons you still remember to this day the first one was always eat your desserts (laughs) my mom always said eat your desserts, no eat your vegetables that's right and the other one was don't talk to don't talk to strangers and so as you get older and if you have children you begin to talk to them about stranger danger right that's a term we like to use with our three kids, we came up. Or actually, my wife Kara found this DVD program called "The Safe Side," and maybe some of you have used that with your kids if you have children. Uh, it was put together by John Walsh from America's most wanted TV show, and um, and in this program, it talks about the different kinds of adults that kids will come into contact with. They set it up into three different categories. They're the safe side adults. And it began to describe who those people were. They were usually the parents and family members, maybe some really, really close friends. And they categorized them and told who you would, would kind of fit into that safe side adult persona. Then it talked about the kind of no's. These are the strangers you, you kind of know. They're, they're like your, your teachers, your coaches, people you can spend a little bit of time with, but you definitely didn't go stay with them, you didn't go on trips with them. And, and again, it described those kind of adults to the kids. And lastly, there were the don't knows. I mean, these are the people you, you just don't know. You, you don't talk to, you don't hang out with, you don't do anything with. And again, they categorized them and told who those individuals were. And so we worked through this with our kids over and over and over again because as parents, we wanted to make sure they understood that it was important. They didn't talk to strangers. They understood what stranger danger was all about. We live here in the D.C. metro area. There are over 6 million people who call this area home. Here in Fairfax County specifically, where this church is, you have almost 1.2 million people who reside in our county. That's a lot of people. You know what? We live in a land of strangers. Let me ask you a question. How many of you were born in this area? Look around for a second. Keep your hands up. Put them up high. This is a transient area, right? We're not from here. I mean, near a lot of you're like, why would you even move here? Why would you even live here? You get out of this place. I understand that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but but we live here. We're from somewhere else. Some other hometown, some other state, some other country, and we've come to this place because of jobs. Or somebody made us come here because you're military. Or maybe you're here because of the opportunities that you see. Most of us are transient, which means our communities right here in this area. It's the land full of strangers. We live so close to so many people, yet how much and how well do we really know them? How many people live right around where you live in your neighborhood? I mean, more than likely, you don't live on two acres of land here, right? You don't have forests blocking you from everybody else. Now, you live right close to or right on top of somebody else. And you don't know them because they tend to be strangers to us. All these people, and yet we're still so all alone. Lyle Schaller is a sociologist and church consultant, and he says the biggest challenge for the church at the opening of the 21st century is to develop a solution to the discontinuity and fragmentation of the American lifestyle. You and I are more connected than we've ever been in any generation. We have more connections than any generation has ever had, thanks to technology and social media. I mean, we, we're friends with people we don't even know, Right? I mean, we're so connected, and yet at the same time, we are the loneliest, the loneliest any group of people have ever been. Look around. We're strangers. Today we start this brand new series called Neighbors. And what we're gonna do over the next few weeks is we're gonna we're gonna talk about your neighbors. I mean, you already talk about them anyway, right? Let's just be honest. But we're going to take this a little bit deeper. We're going to talk about this in a healthy way about our neighbors. But we're going to focus on our neighbors. Now, why would we do that? Well, it's summertime, right? I mean, I know our kids still have like four more weeks of school left, it seems like, and everybody else is out of school. But, but summer is coming. Summer is on its way. Some way, summer is here. And um, the days are longer and we seem to have a lot more time and maybe if you're like our family you stay outside a little bit more than you normally do. And so there are amazing opportunities to interact with the people who are truly our neighbors. And over the next through weeks or next few weeks we're going to focus on our neighbors because we truly believe that you and I we have the power to influence and bring about happiness and life to the people who live right beside us. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on neighbors. But first, we've got to define who our neighbors are. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up here on the screens. Uh, If you have your, your phone app, you can actually open it up and follow along and fill in the blanks that are there, and you can actually email it to yourself, and then you won't ever lose your notes. But Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25, But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's a great question. Who is my neighbor? Now, please understand here, this religious scholar is a Pharisee. He knows scripture. His job is to know scripture and to know the rules and regulations of the Jewish faith. He's actually trying to test Jesus right here in this moment. He's asking this question, who is your neighbor? And it was actually a pretty hot topic a a big theological question in judaism at the time and people would try to decide who exactly is my neighbor because for their faith there was actually a right answer it was jews and it wasn't just jews it was actually certain jews were the correct answer to that question and so the scholar wants to find out does does jesus know the right answer does he know how to answer that question of who is my neighbor Now think about this Pharisee for a moment. His job, again, is to define and interpret and to understand the laws that were written. The first five books of the Bible, the Torah, we we talk about that some here at church. And it's an important part of Judaism. In some ways, it's very important to who we are, even to this day. But think about the people he hung out with. He didn't hang out with the misfits. He didn't hang out with strangers. He didn't hang out with sinners. No, he hung out with religious people. He hung out with an Arvin actor. He hung out with, with church people. But then Jesus shows up. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He's totally different. He's the opposite of everybody else, all these other religious leaders. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is actually hanging out with the misfits. He, he's asking those that are strangers, like, hey, come over here. Let, let's have a conversation together. And the sinners, he says, hey, let's go eat dinner. Let's go spend some time together. Jesus is the total opposite of those religious leaders of the Pharisees. Because Jesus is hanging out with the people that are far from God. And so when this expert is asking this question, who, who is my neighbor? He's trying to expose Jesus. His expectation is Jesus is going to come back and say, anybody, anybody's your neighbor. Love everybody. Everything's acceptable. God's wonderful. That's what he's expecting Jesus to say, and he's trying to catch him in this moment so he has something that he can pin on Jesus because all those That would have been the wrong answer to the question. So what does Jesus do? He traps the Pharisee with love. Tells him a story, a story that most of us in here are familiar with. Even people that have never been to church before know the story or know a little bit about the story of the Good Samaritan. We're not going to read it, but let me just recap it for you just for a moment if you're not familiar or forgotten there's a Jewish man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17-mile trip, and parts of this trip are pretty, pretty sketchy. I mean, you definitely didn't want to do this alone. This guy's decided to take this trip alone. And part of the way there, he gets attacked. He gets attacked. He's beaten up. He's left for dead. He's robbed, and he's just laying there on the side of the road. A priest comes by sometime later, and a priest works in the temple. I mean, he's really the intermediary between God and the people. This is a pretty important person. He understands love God and love your neighbor. He teaches people how to do that, right, in, in their own context. And so he comes by. He sees this man. It's a Jewish man, just like him. He's beaten. He's bloodied. He's bruised. Maybe his clothes are torn. Maybe he's on the side of the road like, help me, help me. I can't feel my arms or whatever. I don't know what's going on. But, but he's laying there, and the priest comes up, the one person that probably should have stopped and helped. What's he do? Goes to the other side of the street, walks on by. A Levite comes by a little bit later on. The Levite uh, group of people, the the tribe of Levi, their, their job was to help the priests. So they worked in the temple. Again, theologically sound. They knew what it meant to love God and to love your neighbor. What does the Levite do? sees the same guy sitting on the side of the road, laying there, beaten, bloody, maybe moaning for help. Goes to the other side of the street, walks on by. A little bit later on, a Samaritan guy comes by, and Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't get along at all. It's kind of like redskins and cowboys. There's just this tension that was always there between these two groups. The Samaritans uh, looked up or looked at the Jewish people as basically as snobs. You think you're better than we are. The Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans because they were half Jewish and half Gentile. They worshiped God in a different way. And so there was this religious and this ethnic division that was there between these two groups of people. But what does the Samaritan do? He walks on by too, right? No. He sees this Jewish man. He sees that he's beaten and he's bloodied and he's bruised and he stops takes out some olive oil and probably some wine, and he pours it on the wounds. He bandages this guy up and puts him on a camel, a donkey, maybe even carries him to this inn that's close by and tells the innkeeper, whatever it takes to take care of this guy, I will pay for it. Do whatever you can to take care of him. Samaritan shouldn't have helped this Jewish man. The priest should have. The Levite should have. But definitely not the Samaritan. The Samaritan does just that. What's Jesus' point to the story of the good Samaritan? It really is your neighbor is anyone. Your neighbor is anyone. I think he's pushing a little bit farther, too. I think he's telling the guy at that moment do you actually love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? I think Jesus says in that moment that, yes, our neighbor is anyone. But, but I want to define it a little bit differently for us again as we start this series. In the world of Christendom, when we think about neighbor, we define it, I think, like Jesus does. It's everyone, right? We think about this whole world. We're not defined or confined to a location. For us, our neighbor is all of humanity. It's everybody. And, and here's what we're good at. Man, when there is a need globally, Christians jump in and help. People that are followers of Christ, we do an amazing job. When we we understand there's a village in Central America that needs water, we send money and resources and people down to, to dig that well so that those individuals can have water, so that village can drink clean, healthy water. If we hear about human trafficking in a place like Vietnam, we do the same thing. We send resources. We send money. Maybe we go to help those individuals that are stuck in that lifestyle. Even if we think about our own country, a hurricane hits in the south. Man, we'll pull, pull up an 18-wheel, and we will fill it with water and clothes and food, and we'll send it down to help individuals in that place. We'll even send teams down to go help people that are, that are suffering in that moment. We understand what it means to love our neighbor, and we're quick to jump in. We're quick to jump in, to send money and resources and to give our time there's probably a couple of reasons we do that. First, um, we're guilt. We feel guilty, right? <laughs> we love to help because of guilt. We feel like, hey, if I give my money or I give my time or I give my resources, I mean, they're hurting. They don't have a lot. I can help them. I've got a ton. Then we feel better about ourselves. And I know a lot of us are motivated by guilt. But I think the other reason that many of us are motivated to help is just what comes out of the story here. It's the Good Samaritan. We're motivated by love. They're my neighbor. And I must help them. As Christians, many people tend to be great at helping in some other place. And in this series, here's what we want you to do. We want you to take this from the macro level, the global level that we tend to think about neighbors. And we want you to narrow it down really to a very finite micro level. And we're going to define our neighbors, not on this global scale. We're going we're to define them as the people, you ready for this, who literally live right where you live, okay? And I'm not even talking a street or two over. I'm talking about the people who live right around your home. The sad part is, for many of us, we're more familiar with the plight of people in Africa or Thailand or Vietnam or down in the south when a hurricane or tornado hits than the people who live right where we live. We forget about those people being our neighbors. We forget who they are. In many, other, many cases, our neighbors are more strangers than people in some other country. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus from this macro level again to this micro level. Now, you're probably thinking a little bit about the people who live around you right now at this moment. It could be good. It could be really bad. I'm not sure. It depends on where you live. But, but how well do you know them? How well do you know your neighbors, are they kind of knows or they don't knows? like we talked about a little bit earlier? How well do you know the people who live right where you live? My guess is for most of us, our neighbors are total strangers, they're total strangers to us. This series is important because we believe that our neighborhoods may be the place that God has placed us and put us. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more a little bit later because that's the place we can have the greatest impact. It feels good to send money. It feels good to send resources to different places, but have you ever thought the impact you can have in the place that you live right now? Now, the issue is, <laughs> it's kind of how we view our neighbors, right? Think about your neighbors for a minute. You probably have some neighbors that are loud, Or they got crazy kids you don't want anywhere near your house. Or they never mow their yard. Or they've always got one car that's up on jacks the whole time. They've never fixed that car ever. Or maybe you live beside that neighbor who has Christmas lights and they leave up all year round. They never take them down. And maybe you're that neighbor in here right now today. I don't know. But we think negatively about our neighbors, Right? we look at them and we view them in a specific way and we think about them in, in a way that's, that's always, it tends to be always negative about who they are because of what we see from the periphery, from what we see outside. And they're strangers because we don't want to get to know that loud, crazy family over across the street from us. And you know who that family is because you don't talk to them, you don't hang out with them, you maybe wave to them, that's about all. But we have this certain view of our neighbors and it clouds our ability to impact their lives. We lived in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina before we moved here last year, and we lived there for seven years, and um, we, we moved into this really nice neighborhood, rented a house there, and uh, everybody kept their yards perfect. I mean, they were immaculate, and they, you know, all of them, they, they all hired people to come to, we had to take care of ours manually, of course, but, um, but they, they took care of the yards, the flowers was perfect, the trees were all cut back just like they needed to be cut back. Everything was great, except for, except for this one house, and this one house was actually across the street from where we lived. And this house had a reputation in the neighborhood so much so that at one point in time, the HOA put a lien on the house because they were telling them, you got you to gotta clean this up. The reason was it looked like a jungle. I mean, literally, it looked like a jungle. Everybody in the neighborhood had like one tree right in the middle of the yard in a perfect position. They had like 12 trees, and most of those they had planted themselves and all the bushes, they hung over. They were way too big, way too large. You couldn't even walk up their sidewalk. They had flowers all over the place. There was always sticks in the yard. They never mowed their, their, their yard at all. The weird part was they were always out there working on the trees and the flowers and cutting it back. <laughs> it didn't make a difference what they did. It still looked like a jungle. Two years ago, it was uh, summertime, and uh, we were driving by their house, and, of course, we were making fun of them. But anyway... Um, <laughs> We were looking right beside their, their mailbox, and I noticed there was this, this plant growing beside the mailbox, and uh, I looked at Karen, and I was like, wow, that's an interesting place to put a flower, but because uh, they didn't do anything else around it. it. was just growing, and we kept watching it, and after uh, a few months, I noticed, I'm like, that's not, that's not a plant. I, I grew up in North Carolina, right? And so for about 12, 13 summers and years, I did landscaping with uh, a guy from the, the church that we went to, and uh, so I knew a little bit about weeds. This was a weed. And they weren't cutting it back. They, they mowed like every three weeks, and so they mowed around it, but they let this weed, thistles, what it was, they let this thistle continue to grow until the point it got taller than the mailbox. Now, I don't know if you know anything about North Carolina thistles, but they actually do have a, a, somewhat of a, a pretty flower on the top. But you cut them down. I mean, they killed everything else around them. They let it grow and grow and grow and grow, and, grow, and our family... Sadly, we laughed about it all the time. I just wanted to go over and we talked about going and cutting it off, you know, in the middle of the night. We didn't think that was appropriate since that wasn't our land. But um, we began to define them by their yards. And people around, the other neighbors, we began to talk about them because of what their yard looked like. And specifically the weed that was there that they thought was a flower. They were strangers to us. And you're probably not a whole lot different than us. When you see something or experience something different than the neighbors around you, you begin to view your neighbors in a negative way. And when we do that, they become strangers. And we don't have the ability to impact their lives when we think of them in that way. Granted, tornado hits, fire destroys their home, a meteor comes through the roof, and we're probably the first people over there to help them. But other than that, they're fine. They can take care of themselves. They're good to go. We'll wave when we pull into our garage. They'll wave back at us. We may say, "Hey, but our neighbors tend to be strangers." One of the things I think we have to understand, though is our neighbors, they're just like us. They have dreams. They have hopes, they have desires, They have wants. They feel pain. Hurt, they struggle, and hopefully they've felt happiness and joy in their lives. They're not any different than you and I. And in, f- in fact, they were created by God, just like you and I were created by God. And yet, for some reason, we're more interested in making a difference in other places and other countries, which by the way is what we should be doing. And, and this church does an amazing job doing that. And yet we forget about the people who live right around us in our neighborhoods. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop seeing the negative in them. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, Paul writes these words. He says, share, or some translations say, carry each other's burdens. In this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. I love how the NLT puts it, you are not that important. You are not that important. Paul's specifically talking to this church, and he's telling them, hey, your job as a church community is to carry each other's burdens, to share each other's burdens. And as a church, that's part of our role here, too. We're to carry and share each other's burdens. That's why we ask you to be a part of a life group. It's a whole lot easier in a life group with 10 to 12 people than 500 people trying to carry and share each other's burdens, right? So we invite you into that area, into that community together. But how many times do we really think about this beyond the church community? That maybe our job as Christians is not only to share and carry each other's burdens, but it's to share and carry the burdens of the people who live right around us. You know, if their house is destroyed, we're supposed to share in that burden and carry that burden. If they need their, do- their, their kid's poopy diaper changed and you're there and they know you pretty well, you know, our job is to help with that. If their plumbing goes out, man, our job is to run over and make sure that we're there to help them. If their kid gets a bloody nose, man, we're getting napkins, whatever we can to help that kid not have a bloody nose. If they need their, their deck painted or rebuilt or whatever, we're the first ones saying, hey, can I help you? I, I can sort of hit a nail, but, you know, if you're okay with me just giving you lumber, I can do that. To, to go into their house saying, hey, that's a weed. You really need to cut that thing out and get rid of it because that's not a, not a flower, which probably you shouldn't actually do. That's their land to do what they want to there. Our job, I believe, is to carry the burdens of the people that live right beside us and if we do that there's no reason our neighbors would ever ever be strangers to us there's an African saying that says a person can only be a person through others and I think neighbors can only be neighbors through each other and if you and I if we say hey I'm a follower of Jesus then our job our role is to carry that burden so we can help them So we can give them the structure or the the support that they need in those tough times in life so that we can carry those burdens that they're going through in their own lives. So here's what we want you to do. This is your challenge for today. This is your homework for today, if you will. We want you to create the chart of shame, okay? Okay. Now, not of your neighbors, where you're going to write down all the negative things about your neighbors. You already know the negative things about your neighbors. But this chart of shame is your shame and my shame, all right? This is about our neighbors. So here's what I would like for you to do. I'd like for you to draw like a square, okay? Many of us are visual. You draw a square. And in that square, I want you to put my house, my apartment, my condo, my townhouse, whatever it is. I want you to put that in that square. And then wherever you live, I want you to put squares for, let's say you live in a single family home. And let's say you've got neighbors behind you, on the side of you, and you've got a couple across the street. I want you to put squares down for each one of those homes, All right. If you live in a townhouse, you live in a townhouse row. So I don't know, there's four or five, maybe six, maybe even more townhouses there. Put your townhouse wherever it fits, make that row, and then I want you to put those other squares there, empty for right now. If you live in an apartment, you're on a level. Usually there's four apartments on a level. You've got your apartment, then I want you to put the other three apartments right around where you live. And here's what I want you to do. Write down your house, your apartment, your condo, your townhouse, whatever it is. Write in that first one. First thing I want you to do is I want you to write the names of all your neighbors. Every one of those homes right around you, I want you to write their names down. My guess is, if you're like us, maybe one, two. Write down the names of those neighbors. And then here's what I want you to do next. Write the details. What do you know about each one of those neighbors do you do you know their hometown? Because they're probably not from here. Do you know where they grew up? They're married, do you know their spouse's name? If they have a roommate? do you know the roommate's name? Do you know their children's names? Do you know their dog's name, their cat's name? The dog that barks all night long keeps you up and you want to you know do things too do you know that dog's name? Probably know the dog's name more than you know the neighbor's name um Do you know where they work? you know what kind of cars they drive? what details do you know and then here's what I want you to do with that I want you to look at that information okay you can do that now you can do that at home today if you've got a family get everybody together and say we're going to work on this I want you to see the names and the details and see what do you really know about your neighbors because if you're like most people you know very little Again, this isn't a place where you were born and you were raised and you grew up and you living beside your mom in one house and your cousin on the other. This isn't like that here. For most of us, if not all of us, our neighbors are our strangers. So do the chart of shame. See how shameful you, you can be, okay, as you go through this. And this is important because as we move forward over the next few weeks, we're going to use that to help us get to a place where our neighbors aren't strangers Anymore. Now, I know in this room there are some of you that are very theologically sound. You have incredible knowledge when it comes to the Bible, and you're probably thinking to yourself, seriously? I got up to hear this today. I mean, there's a, so many more things I could be doing on a Sunday morning than hearing this kind of stuff. This is so elementary. Here's what I would say to you if you feel like you're falling into that category. Who's Jesus talking to in this story? Pharisee. What does this guy know? A lot. He's very theologically sound. And why does Jesus have this interaction with him? Because he thinks he's got it all together because he feels like he has all this knowledge. I think Jesus is saying, hey, you really aren't loving God the way you're supposed to. And you're definitely not loving your neighbor the way you're supposed to. And so we may have all this knowledge, we may think we're theologically sound, and yet we're still not living out what Jesus has called us to do. We have these neighbors that end up being strangers in our life. And if we take Jesus' mission and we love it and we live it out, we understand that our neighbors should never be strangers here's one more thing I'm going to leave with you why is this important in Acts chapter 17 Paul is preaching or actually having a conversation with a group of people in Athens and here's what he says Acts 17 26 he says from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live emphasis mine there God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Could it be that you live in this time and you live in the home, the apartment, the townhouse, the condo you live in because God has put you there? to impact the lives of the people who live right around you. Again, we're amazing at helping in different places all over the globe. And we forget that our our greatest mission field might be the place that we live. What if God has put you in this time, in this moment, in your home, Because he knows you can carry the burden of the people who live around you. What if that were the case? How would that change the way that we view where we live? That we're just not coming home and waving to people and jumping in the garage and we're done. We're intentional in where we live and how we live our life to impact the lives of those strangers who live around us. I think that totally changes the way that we see that question of who is my neighbor. And I think it makes us ask the question, why are they still strangers to me? And again, over this series, we hope we change that in all of us. Franklin Jones is an American journalist. He said, nothing makes you more tolerant of a neighbor's noisy party than being there. Think about that. You and I need to be invited to more noisy parties. In fact, and I'll, I'll say this and again, we'll talk about this in a few weeks you and I probably need to invite our neighbors to a noisy party at our house, where we get the opportunity to meet them and to interact and know who they are and know the details why I think, because God can use us to impact their lives. It may be just for a moment. It, it may be for a year, it could be for a lifetime who knows it could even be for eternity but if you and I loved the place where we live and I know a lot of people live here hate this place okay I get that our family loves it we're glad we're here we wanted to move back up here I know that's strange for a lot of people but we love being here for many many reasons but what if every one of us even if we're getting ready to move I know we've got a group of military people moving what if the place that you're moving to you loved it Maybe you didn't love the house. Maybe you didn't quite love the commute. You didn't love some other aspects of it. But you loved it because you understood the impact that you could make right then and there. Because in that moment, in this time, God has put you there to make a difference in the lives of total strangers. What if we begin to think in that way? How could God use us? And again, over the next few weeks, we'll talk about that. Love where you live. and Begin to take that love of your neighbor as yourself to heart to live it and to make a difference in the places God has placed us into at this time to impact the lives of others. Every week here at The Journey, we take communion together and it is always a reminder that you and I, if we say we are followers of Jesus, we are on this Jesus mission together And it's not just the global mission. That is is a big part of it. But it's this local mission that you and I are on. And the place that we live, not two streets over, but literally where we live, that that's part of our mission too. And if we live that out, if we take all of this to heart, we'll live out that Jesus mission with our neighbors and strangers. So this morning as we take this bread, as we take this juice, my prayer to you, my prayer for us is that we live out that Jesus mission right where we live and that God will use us to impact the lives of others.